What's up, everybody? It's Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You listen to the Pace Rules Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pace Rules on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pace Rules Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers, who post game today found themselves in the middle of one of the more exciting nights in NBA Twitter this month when Giannis Atetokounmpo took exception to what he thought was the original game ball being uh, accosted by the Pacers with uh, some intentions, some pure intentions from the team. There was an altercation in the tunnel. Giannis went running. Chad Buchanan's got a bruised rib. Lloyd Pierce was involved. Tyrese was looking about as innocent as you'd ever want. And we've got to talk about everything that happened and every angle because this um, this has overshadowed a loss to the Bucks and uh, Giannis's franchise record tonight. And Alex, I'll start with you. It's it's a pretty crazy evening in Pacers basketball. The the craziest that I can remember uh, for things that happened off the court since probably Victor Oladipo was begging Miami to trade for him in the bubble. The altercation. It's funny, Giannis. Like you said, dropped sixty four. And I don't think more than one person ha- has talked about it. So th- everything was about the altercation, which was the most pointless altercation maybe ever in M- because the box had the ball the time. And there's video of it. One from the ref went off. I don't know if he tried to sell it on eBay and that's where the drama started, but yeah, it, it was one of the weirder things I've witnessed as a basketball fan. Um, and then really the, the thing that I find the most entertaining is the reporting. I mean, Chris Haynes, I know he he's close with Lillard, so he's tuned into these box games, but he was trying to get the first report and he ended up being wrong, didn't correct it. So everyone thinks the Pacers stole the ball, uh, which they didn't end up doing. But yeah, it was it was hilarious to see. Uh, uh, and I'm glad we're, we're joined by NBA, uh, sorry, Pacers Twitter legend Woody to talk about it because... I feel like you're probably more in tune with with what's going on on social media than the rest of us. It is good to be here, despite Giannis just casually dropping a franchise record, 64 points (laughs) on our beautiful paces. And I've got bronchitis, so that backs it up. Two for one special for me today. But um, I don't know, there's kind of a bright side. I feel like since Paul George, it's been a pretty bland eight years of paces basketball. And in the space of, what, a month? It feels like there's nothing but pure life. Every sign, every single time the Pacers play, everyone's talking about us, whether it's good or bad. Um, that Halliburton hate starting to creep in. Tall poppy syndrome. Once someone starts doing well, everyone wants to chop him down. But in my opinion, it's, it's better than people not talking about us at all. Um, Giannis is incredible. Had an amazing game. But yeah, how, how poor to undo it all um, and have everybody talking about something other than that, other than that incredible performance that he put on. Shout out to Scott Agnes, who released a piece this evening sort of covering the incident in great detail. Uh, and I'm sure that all of our friends, Tony E, setting the pace, um, Alex Fafachi will be covering this over the next uh, day and doing exactly what we're doing. So the, the great thing about Pace's uh, coverage these days is that there are no shortage of high-quality uh, material out there and sources to give you an idea of what's going on. But... Based on the reporting that's happened both in Milwaukee and around the Pacers organization, it appears that the Pacers had the backup game ball for Oscar Toshibwe as he scored his first NBA point. So 
Woody, this it's a storm in a teacup. Giannis comes out of this looking particularly bad. He's kind of been a bit weird this season, a bit honorary, a bit angry, a bit short. You know, there's been a bit of coverage about him not involving himself in team huddles and, you know, timeouts and that sort of stuff. And this kind of doesn't really dispel that because he overreacted. And I imagine that the consensus on this in 24 to 48 hours is going to be that Giannis completely overreacted. There was a misunderstanding. He doesn't look great. He's one of the best basketball players in the world. And, you know, you, you kind of expect a certain level of poise. Yeah, we saw, um, we obviously saw the footage that came out later that that Bucks staff member came straight for the ball, picked it up, yep. took it away, tucked it nicely. So we saw they had the ball, whatever communication happened there, like they can be frustrated if that's what they thought happened. Rick Kyle at points thought that had happened. So there was obviously a miscommunication there. Um, end of the day, the ball was with the Bucks. They had it. Um, that's not what frustrated me. It was the doubling down. Like they were clearly yeah. wrong. And Giannis has continued to push that, which sucks. Like if you just said, you know, oh, look, we had the ball, whatever. Um, you can understand everybody was confused. It is what it is. That's fine. Doesn't even have to apologize. Just it is sure. what it is. Um, but the whole going over to Halley when he wasn't getting his way, putting his hands on Halley with four Bucks teammates, including his brother, standing over the top of him, knowing he's in a vulnerable spot. Um, did not like that at all. And then afterwards saying, oh, I, you know, I had the ball given to me, but I'm not even convinced it's the real ball. Like it's your people giving you your ball that they grabs. I mean, if you're not convinced by your own people, then you're just looking to cause trouble at that point. Alex, dissecting sort of the, the the locker room or the tunnel experience from this game and then the the talk around it, these these guys were looking for an altercation and the paces were not backing down. You love to see that. There was some chippiness throughout the game. There was a hard foul by Neesmith on Giannis. There were technicals and flagrants handed out here, there and everywhere. It was, you know, it was always going to end with some sort of animosity, but it really escalated. And then in the tunnel, it feels like there were some instances of potential violence and almost violence. And I want to shout out, I did this on Twitter, but I want to shout out Jalen Smith because he he was clearly pulling Isaiah Jackson uh, out of that situation. He was pulling Oscar Toshibwe, who was probably protecting a game ball of his first ever NBA point out of the situation. Good to have veterans like Tyrese that are level-headed, uh, and speaks to the maturity of this team under Rick Carlisle and, you know, setting the tone of Tyrese Halliburton. He was super calm, even though he was a bit confused as to why there was so much controversy. I think he was just trying to tell everyone it was a good game. Like he was just trying to give everyone high fives from the other team. And he ended up just getting absolutely yelled at by everyone. So he was kind of an innocent bystander in all of it. But yeah, it was elbow city today. Giannis hit him with that elbow. Apparently Tyrese is the best flopper in the league. That's news to me, but but we've heard it. So. That's ridiculous. And, and and now he's a fake superstar, not a fake all-star, so we've upgraded a bit. Um, and then there was, yeah, Isaiah Jackson got hit with an elbow, which was somehow still a bucket. Um, but yeah, there, there were just things going on throughout this game. And this also goes back to the in-season tournament. Obviously, Tyrese hit him with the, the daytime celebration. So you kind of knew that the Bucs had a little bit of extra. We'd already beaten them twice. So the next two matchups now, which is a back-to-back in at the start of January, is going to be very interesting. I think there's going to be a little uh, a little extra from everyone, including Bobby Portis, who seems to be the instigator of a lot of these uh, incidents, even though he got ejected. So he wasn't even 
the uh, the reason the tunnel the tunnel thing happened. But yeah, like you said, Jalen Smith, who by the way is a he's an aggressive guy on the court. Jalen Smith, he, he gets frustrated a lot. So as you said, to see him kind of pull Isaiah back to pull everyone back, I thought was really good. I also love that video because Shepard was dying. He, he was laughing, laughing the whole time throughout <laughs> the entire thing. <laughs> so at least there's some sense of humor in it. Yeah, I guess you've got to take the good with the bad. But, I, I mean, the fact of the matter is that this, this team doesn't back down, Woody, and I think it's got a spirit to it that we haven't seen since probably the first good Oladipo season prior to the quad. Um, and, you know, that that picture that we always remember about everyone picking Corey Joseph up off the, off the floor after drawing a foul. Um, it's a similar sort of spirit that this team has. There's a togetherness to it. And I want to touch wood when I say that because after uh, that team that I spoke of just now was, you know, a bevy of injuries and then Nate Bjorkren. So uh, let's not get too excited, I guess. But it, there's there's a there's a spirit, there's a togetherness, there's a, there's a hardness also to this team that is kind of led by Aaron Neesmith in some ways and TJ McConnell. Like we've got a couple of pests on the team. And I said on the chat with uh, Alex earlier today, every good team needs an a-hole. And if that's going to be Neesmith, then great. Bring it on for me. Cause you do need at least one. You probably need two. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's just an extra bonus that at the time when that trade went down, everybody clowned and called him a paperclip and it was just nothing but negative. And he's been nothing yep. but positive since we got him. He does a bit of everything. He can shoot it. Um, but it's that grunt work. We saw it through the in-season tournament. Every time there was big moments, it was him going at it with whoever the superstar was on the other end, body to body, getting buckets the other end. That dunk against the Celtics, like it's nothing but good moments. It's high energy and it's something we've lacked in the past. So for what is it, three years, $30 million. I feel like that's a pretty Happy good investment. That. Yeah, what an incredible investment. Look, we've got to look at the other side of the ball and we do have to talk about this game a little bit because Giannis scored 64, 28 field goal attempts, 32 free throw attempts. No one we threw at Giannis could guard him or could slow him down even. Obi fouled out in 19 minutes. Neesmith had five fouls himself. Uh, Miles had four fouls. Uh, Jarris Walker played, you know, garbage time and had four fouls. Uh, Isaiah Jackson had three. Matherin had three. Like it was a it was a foul fest as it was, but no one could contain Giannis. And we know that defense is a problem for this team. And I've been saying it since the beginning of this podcast, Alex. We don't still don't have that starter that can defend large superstars like Giannis, uh, like Embiid. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting exercise on the potential trade market because pay- the Pacers have been linked to big wings and those sorts of players to see if they can fill a hole defensively and get Miles and get Bruce Brown a little bit more help, a little bit more size uh, to defend on the perimeter and stop these guys from going off because 64 points, you, you're going to lose most of the time when you let one player on the opposition team score that many. I think we need a soundboard for this podcast. And every time we play the Bucks or the Heat, we got to just press the we need a Ford button. Yeah. We need yep. a uh, we need a Ford soundbite because it happens every time. Yeah. Um, also, can we talk about the fact that Giannis does not miss free throws against the Pacers? I need somebody yeah, to break down is. those stats for me because I feel like he shoots over 90 against us and then like 60 against everyone else. But maybe I'm just, maybe I'm biased. I don't know, but... Uh, yeah, Giannis kills us every single time. 54 points earlier this season. 
it's a miracle if we keep him under 35 at this point. So, look, that, that deadline is going to be interesting. Shams tweeted earlier, uh, you know, we were interested in OG and Pascal. Not surprising at all. Um, but my thing for, for you, Woody, I know you've kind of been on the fence with these trades. Do you... Obviously, the price and the contracts are so, you know, such big what-ifs because they're both expiring. But do you think these type of games are going to force Kevin Pritchard in a sense to say, man, we, we got to get one of these guys in from, from Toronto. Yeah, it's it's a weird, tough spot. December 15, or what is it, a couple of days from now, everything yep. opens up yeah. with those contracts. Yep. Um, things get a bit interesting. I mean, we, we need like that second shot creator instantly. We want to compete right now. Um, and we need that big four, three, four, that can defend these super wings that um, all the great teams seem to have. Uh, OG fixes one of those things. He's an incredible defender, but he's pretty awful when it comes to shot creation. Um, yes. It's something no one really seems to talk about. He's talked about like a second star, but second stars need to be a better shot. He's just not. Um, Pascal fits that, but do we want to be investing 45 million a year, 50 million a year, whatever it's going to cost us to re-sign him if he wants to re-sign with the back end of that, he's going to be 34, 35 years old on that money with Halley in his prime. Um, I mean, if we do trade for him and he re-signs, two, three years from now, we can still move him on and reset. Like, it's not like he instantly loses all value once we require him. The price is going to be interesting. I think it'll be lower than what a lot of people think. I don't think there's an instant fix out there. Um, and they also had the added pressure of um, Halliburton's best buddies on this team. Like, they're people he really loves and really gets along with. Yeah, um, They're going to be the core people, uh, piece, pieces thrown into these trade packages. Buddy, um, Obi Toppin, Bruce Brown even. Um guys he really really appreciates and gets along with do you want to make your first big big splash by spreading out and getting rid of his best friends when he's your franchise player it's such a weird spot to be in i don't think there's an instant solution um if one becomes available jump on it but yeah just just not sure yet unless the price for og is very 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 little couple of picks i'd do that but i can't see that happening I mean, the, the salaries match up really well with with Hield and OG, so that's an obvious trade partner. And we do have two picks in this draft. Um, both will be in the back half of the draft. So if Toronto are willing to accept that, then you have to have a good look at it. But you're right. I, I don't think you can part with Hield and Toppen given the five-year extension for Halliburton. Um, he's a smart guy. He knows that you need to upgrade a position. He knows that probably that's going to be mean that one of his friends leaves um, but I think you need to heed uh, lessons from the past in uh, the Danny Granger trade and not sacrifice too much chemistry in order to get much, much better right now. Uh, I think you need to be really, really careful with that and get the chemistry balance right as well as the talent balance right. And Alex, you and I have spoken at length this season about how we're probably too deep. So we do need to bring the rotation back a little more um, and have... Uh, a very clear starting five and a very clear bench rotation. And we're in the process of doing that right now, but that will mean that guys like Buddy Heald are kind of the sacrificial lambs for for that and potentially Isaiah Jackson with Jalen Smith coming back and he was playing so well, crashing the boards before he left. I mean, look, it, I've got a wish list. I think every Pacers fan has a wish list. Mikhail Bridges is on that wish list. Um, but I think that's unrealistic unless you sell the farm. I mean, you, you're probably going to have to trade Matherin um, and three, four first-round picks. I think Kevin Durant costs four first-round picks and Mikhail Bridges, so you're looking at 
probably four first round picks and a rookie uh, contract and, you know, the salary filler to match. So that's probably sacrificing too much and probably um, an all-in move on a year that you're probably not quite all-in yet. Um, But you do have to look to upgrade Buddy's position in the starting five. I don't think you can necessarily let go of Matherin yet. He shows too many flashes, Alex, for you to completely throw him out unless there is a game changer out there and a team that wants to take on Matherin's uh, the rest of his rookie deal and give you a bona fide all-star. Yeah, I think that is the key really because, you know, to, to Woody's point, uh, you, you don't want to give up Matherin for a guy who's going to become a free agent in six months, right? I think that's where you're looking at the salary filler and picks, yeah. hopefully. But um, oh, I, I feel like, yeah, we, we probably haven't been our buddy enough on this show because, man, he, he has been so bad at times this year. And when the shot isn't falling for him, he there aren't many players in the NBA, truthfully, who are less useful on the court because he doesn't give you anything else outside of spacing. So it's been it's been really rough for him. The Vegas games were bad. Miami uh, game, today he was shot dead. like one for 87,000 yeah. from the field. Like, which which we could have predicted from a mile away. <laughs> yeah, Party City's not really kind to Buddy Heald. Um, I'll be very interested to see what happens, Woody, when Buddy travels to LA for the first time and Houston <laughs> this season because um, – yeah, if you're a betting mad, you probably smash the under on those games. I'll be looking to get rich and keeping an eye on it, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, It is tough because when he's great, he's extraordinary and he's just instant offense. But um, that's the Buddy Hield experience. It's either incredible or disastrous. There's no middle ground. Um, it's a tough watch at times. But then he wins you over so quickly when he gets hot. He just, I think it's been, what, eight or nine games, ten games, where for the duration of it, he's under 30%. So... How long can you really sustain that? Um, but then the flip side, again, his values at its absolute lowest. Um, his contract situation means he's not worth anything. What are you realistically going to get out of trading him? I mean, is his value as uh, Tyrese, his running mate, more valuable than anything you're going to bring back in return? Because I don't think he has much value at the trade table right now. Woody, our listeners are probably sick of us talking about our own trade targets. So I'm interested in who you would like this club to target and why. Are, are there any under the radar can under the radar candidates that maybe wouldn't cost quite as much as the guys we're talking about that you think we should be targeting? That Yana Sunset Compo guy is pretty good. I wouldn't mind if we went after him. It would be 36 first round picks yeah. and yep. yeah. And honestly, that's the problem. I don't think there's anyone really available. Laurie Markinen is the one we sort of come back to just borderline star, but the skill set is so perfect for what we need with Hallie. That's the only one, but then you're dealing with Danny Ainge and that's a nightmare to begin with. Um, Mikael Bridges, I don't think he fixes that problem personally, just because he's, he's only six, six, only six, six. He's a human giant in, you know, people terms, but NBA terms, like we have a few guys who are six, six, what Neesmith, six, six, but he's six, five feel like there's always that risk that we're just adding another one who's not quite that superstar to make the jump. Uh, I also think we have to be realistic. Like it took us what, nine years to go get another superstar level player. We've had what, three or four maybe in the 30 years of Pacers basketball, true superstar level players, maybe four or five. Um, adding another one's not going to be easy. I think things need to fall into place perfectly. We all hope Ben can rise and become, you know, that perfect third option. I don't you know got to overpay. 
as well. Not overpay. It is, it is a problem if you want to do that. And I don't think any of the guys that are available are worth overpaying for, which is the shitty thing because the Pacers need it now and that guy's not available now. So it's a, a double-edged sword where we're struggling. What uh, what say you about Paul George? Love it again, but you got to overpay the injury issues, the age thing. Um, it would depend on the price tag. I love Paul George. I'm a Paul George fan for life, always will be. Had had some down moments, obviously, as we all did with Paul George when we all went through that sad breakup era when yeah. you know, things weren't perfect. But the dude is a star. He's an absolute star. But um, how long has what he got if, left? What if it was two years, 90 million? I'd do it. Yeah, I'd do that for sure. Yeah. Because I, mean, I, I think that's million. the only way it gets done. Really. Yeah, and in reality, that's perfect because if it goes well, that's fantastic. If it doesn't, you've just opened up 45 million cap space right as Tyrese Halliburton enters his prime. So I'm all aboard that. Yeah, I think that's that's the middle ground that's kind of the romantic in us wants to the Pacers to explore. I mean, if, if the Pacers did not uh, make a trade at all this season because the market wasn't available, or even if they did make a trade for one of those Toronto guys and th- that guy chose not to sign, um, they could do a hell of a lot worse than. Yeah, Siakam is the one I do like the most out of yep. out of those two for sure. Even though he's a bit older, he is everything. Nearly thirty. It's a it's a concern, right? Like it, yeah. once again, even if you're extending him, you don't want f- to give him five years. You probably don't even want to give him four years. You probably want to do two or three. And is he interested in that? I guess if you're willing to give him $45, $50 million a year, he might be. Yeah, those are the conversations behind closed doors that we'll never, ever get to see that will probably determine if we go after him or not. Yeah. But, uh, but then Paul George, is is he 34 now? 33, 34? Yeah, so something like that. We're paying him for a couple of years to 36. Um, as much as I love Paul George, I think I prefer Siakam at 29, 30, 31, 32, than PG at 34, 35, especially with the injury history of Paul George. Alex, let's get back to this Bucks game. The paces didn't look great. Tyrese obviously was okay by his standards, and it's amazing that I'm saying he's okay when he got 22 points and seven boards, but that's not a, a good Tyrese game anymore. We we expect more. Miles was pretty good numbers-wise, but, uh, I mean, everyone's good numbers-wise in this Pacers team because they score 125 points every single night. So you're always going to score points. You're always going to get rebounds. Um, your numbers are always going to be good. This is a you know a fantasy team owner's wet dream right now, but um, the inability to defend uh, is is a problem. Question for you around the starting lineup: Buddy is obviously in there now. Would you keep Buddy in there, even though he is not adding a great deal in terms of his shooting numbers, or is it time to potentially bring Matherin back in? Yeah, yeah, it's so hard because the flip side of that is. You go back to that Detroit game. Yeah. When Matherin was out there with the starters, he didn't touch the ball. Yeah. For the last like seven minutes of that fourth quarter, he was just in the corner. So I don't know where he fits necessarily right now. I know Halliburton's talked a lot about trying to get him the ball more, get him more touches when they're together, but it just like it doesn't happen. So that that fit is interesting. And Matherin feels so much more confident when he's got the ball in his hands, which he can do almost every possession with the second unit. Um, the one that I would probably just keep watching for is Neesmith back in for top, and which they did for that one Hawks game. I think yep. Neesmith had like 17. He got hurt, but was really good that night. I think that's more realistic, especially top and struggle today. He struggled the last couple, even though he shot better the last few weeks. Um, and I also just think 
Rick understands, you know, even when Buddy is struggling, his spacing is obviously an important thing to this offense. Um, it's just, it, yeah, like we've said, it, it is a brutal watch when he's going one from eight from three because he's like the Dion Waiters meme come yeah. to life. He would rather go 0 from 30 than 0 for 9 because that means he didn't lose confidence. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think the one that I would watch out for is Neesmith back into the starting lineup. But what about you? I, I've got to agree with that. I mean, Obi Woody hasn't really played all that well consistently enough. And Neesmith just adds this defensive grunt and this attitude that you, you're missing because you're the worst offensive team in the league or one of the worst offensive teams in the league. Uh, and you look at the slate right now and you've got Washington coming up next. That should be a win because they can't beat anyone. And then you've got Minnesota, which is a really interesting matchup because they play those twin towers. And I, I would be really interested to see Neesmith on Carl Anthony Towns for a game to see how that goes. We do know that Obi Toppin defended well in Miami uh, against Jimmy Butler that, that one time, but um, he's a smaller guy. So I, I feel like Neesmith has the attitude to be able to at least try and slow down Carl Anthony Towns. And I'd love to see him against Cat. And then a couple of nights later against the Clippers, um, I'd love to see Neesmith out there against the likes of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to see if he can get into those guys and slow them down because that they're the reps that he needs to for us to be able to determine, is he the guy at power forward? Because then if he ends up being the guy, then we can focus on getting that bigger wing player and we know that we have the four kind of sorted, um, but we but we probably need to give him a bit more of a chance in the starting lineup. Yeah, I think I think you can start Buddy, you can start Obi, but you can't start both of them together. Yeah, yep. I think you got to pick one. And yeah, Anise Smith should fill the void. I think best case scenario would be Halley at the one, um, Bruce Brown at the two, Neesmith at the three, Obi at the four, Miles at the five. It's nice. Wow, balance, you play really size. big. Yeah, yep. play, play with a little size. We still have guys who can shoot it. We can still move. Um, and Neesmith, again, at 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, whatever he is, is probably yep. about right for a small forward. Bruce Brown's only 6'4". Um, the balance is probably a little better, um, especially going against these bigger teams. We still run. We still get out. Problem with the current starting lineup is if the early shots don't go in the first two to three minutes, we're almost guaranteed to get jumped. And that's just not a position you want to start start games in, taking a huge risk like that off the jump. Yeah, the, the only the only concern I would have about that lineup is the how do you then go to Buddy and then Matherin off the bench? How do you stagger those minutes? Um, because having, you know, Buddy and Matherin on at the same time and potentially having to defend a Paul George or an Anthony Edwards with one of those guys. I mean, look, Matherin's shown flashes, but I'd be pretty concerned, Alex, about the uh, the wing defense off the bench. Um, so it's kind of a robbing Peter to pay Paul type situation and just further reinforces the fact that we have to upgrade that Buddy Hill position. We need a bona fide stud at that spot so that we know who we're going to be relying on um, at both rotational pieces. Yeah. You know, the other thing I was thinking of today actually on that was I'm watching the box and when Giannis sits down, guess who comes in? Damian Lillard. Yeah. You know how much of a luxury that is to be able to say, Hey, we're going to sit our best player and then bring in another all-star to just carry the load for the next like six minutes. That's you see Hackam argument, isn't it? Yeah. For me, the thing right now is when Tyrese is sitting, we have a really good bench, right? Like our bench yeah. is good. But my biggest concern is who, who is generating the offense, right? Like 
We've had McConnell play well at times. Nemhard's had a down year. But I just worry about that guy who can take all the scoring pressure off Tyrese. And obviously, we hope Ben can be that one day. But yeah, going back to the the trade targets, I think you have to to be able to say, we're going to be okay in the Tyrese less minutes, which I don't know if you can right now. And also, when he's getting pressed, like he did against the Lakers, that's my other thing. Who's making shots, right? Like, to the to the starting lineup point, when Bruce, Obi, and Buddy are all missing from three, they can't coexist on the court at the same time because it just doesn't work. So I think you'll see more teams press half court and uh, double Tyrese, and it's going to be hard for those guys. Yeah, if only Carl Anthony Towns made like $20 million less a year uh, and was <laughs> going to be paid $60 million in the final year of his contract, that, that would be a... That would be a target. Um, and, you know, there's bigger wings around the league, but you're right, Woody, there's no silver bullet here. There's no guy that you point to and go, yes, that guy's gettable. He's costly. He's cost-effective. He's not going to gut the entire future of this team, and he's going to give us exactly what we need. So it's a weird spot to be in, but I guess the positive is that we are super deep. So injuries to guys like Nemhard aren't, aren't felt uh, necessarily as strongly as they would be with other teams. And you do get the opportunity to make changes to your lineup and not really get to a point where you're alienating stars. Um, because if you frustrate Buddy Heald, guess what? He's an expiring contract. And sure, that might cause a little bit of friction, but you put yourself in the better uh, position to win. So if you sacrifice Buddy Heald's starting spot for Neesmith, or for Matherin, whatever the case may be, and you find that winning combination, then it's worth it. Uh, the Probably the, the thing is at 13 and nine, we've had some really good results, but we haven't found, I don't think Carlisle has necessarily found the five guys that he can absolutely trust at the end of the game to, to close it. Silver lining behind it too is it took him three games to beat us. So things yep. aren't all bad. Yep. It is all kind of, you know, um, recency sort of thoughts as it's really, really bad. We just had 64 dropped on us, but we've shown even when Giannis goes ballistic, we can still compete. We can still play. So we're close. Um, And I guess the cool thing about it is if we add that next level player, the confidence that we will have that we can really go to being a contender. um, It'll be the first time we can really think that since the Paul George, Roy Hibbert, David West days. Three of our next five games against sub 500 teams. We've got Washington, at Washington, at Minnesota, then uh, versus the Clippers in Charlotte, and then we travel to Memphis, who are really struggling with Ja Morant out. And that might be the very last game before Memphis get back Ja Morant. Uh, so, Alex, a schedule quirk that might really work in the Pacers' favor. I was going to say, that would be the most Pacers thing ever if he came back against us and just started dunking on everyone. Um, yeah, I think that's a stretch where you hope to go three and two, I suppose. And yeah. If you can still one against, uh, that's maybe like a, that, that's what you expect. But again, I think if you can steal one against Minnesota, Minnesota the game would be a win for us. Yeah, and I think against that you have to think against the Clippers at home. That's a real opportunity. They haven't set the world alight, Woody. So. Um, coming into Cambridge Fieldhouse uh, and Paul George coming back and there being a little bit more love in the air with PG, um, that's a game that this team could win. And um, it, it's going to be you know, a really high-scoring game, particularly with the personnel that the Clippers have out there. Like Harden's going to be you know, 40 and 20 
probably in that game. But uh, it's going to be fun to watch, which we know this team have been all season long. That's the other silver lining, that it's the most exciting, fun Pacers season I think we've ever had. Absolutely. I think the Washington game will really set the vibe for the whole trip. If we lose that, we're going to be climbing uphill really badly. Have to Have to win that one take care of business like the good teams do, which we haven't always done this season. We've dropped some bad ones. Um, but it's nice to know that we're going into a game against the Clippers where they've got three A-grade stars, superstars even, um, in this league. And we're like quietly confident that we should be able to win that. It's, uh, it's a nice place to be. Certainly is. Well, Woody, get over this bronchitis, mate. We need you back on uh, Pace's Twitter. Uh, I know you're probably on it at the moment for eight hours a day, but we need you on it for that extra two or three. So thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks guys. Alex, uh, predictions. Do we beat Minnesota? Do we beat the Clippers? Anytime I say something positive on the show, losing. So okay, so we're going to lose every game. The next five, the next five, we go one and four. There you go, man. Okay. What about you? All right. Have you reverse jinxed yourself? We'll soon see. I think I think we lose to Minnesota, but we beat the Clippers at home. That's for me. We've been the Paceroos. For Woody and Alex, I'm Adam. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again next time.